Well, we are moving into our time of the preaching and teaching of God's word. We worship God uh, through prayer. We worship God in song. We worship God through his word. And we worship God through his sacraments, the baptism and the Lord's Supper. Right now, we worship God through his word. And we have a very special guest in the house, our guest preacher this morning, Pastor Chris Ratcliffe. He uh, and his beloved family are here, so we are thankful to have you, brother. And I just want to give a few introductory notes, a little bit about Pastor Chris, and uh, then I'm going to be out your way, and he's going to come preach the word. Amen, brother? Okay. So uh, Pastor Leon met Pastor Chris a while back when uh, Pastor Chris Radcliffe was uh, still a church planner, and the two of them... Uh, eventually bumped into each other because the best I understand it your kids went to the same school and so Pastor Leon and and Pastor Chris uh, were bumping into each other and and uh, though Pastor Leon would say that they aren't like extremely close like they don't kick it on Friday nights and stuff like that maybe they do I'm not sure but uh, Pastor Chris looks like he I, I talked to him a little bit earlier and I was like I'd like to kick it with Pastor Chris uh, but but He's, Pastor Leon did want me to know that he's a dear brother in the Lord, and he senses a, a connection to you, and he's been watching you from afar, and he said he loves to watch, he's loved to, to watch and see you faithfully and humbly serving the Lord in the various contexts that God puts you, and uh, it just so happens you're at Hope Community Church now, which uh, is in the Jefferson Chalmers neighborhood, and they're a church that's been praying alongside us and celebrating uh, Mac Avenue Community Church ever since we planted. And so how could we not have you come and, and preach the word, uh, being, at, uh, being that you're at Hope Community Church and the rest of the connections that Pastor Leon has with you. And so we uh, hope to see you more. But for right now, I just want to everybody give uh, Pastor Chris Ratcliffe a warm Mac Avenue welcome. <laughs> Pastor Chris, come and preach the word to us. Good morning, Mac Community Church. Let's try it again. Good morning, Mac Community Church. Hey, there it is. There it is. Let me just get this on here. to keep myself on time. I ain't trying to keep you guys here all, all morning. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Come on, somebody. All right. Let me get this on here. Good morning, Mac Community Church. Um, my name is Chris, as you've already heard, um, and I am a pastor at Hope Community Church. Um, I want to first and foremost just say, um, pay honor to where honors due to your, your pastors here that oversee this house. Um, can we just give um, a moment of just um, a hand for Pastor uh, Rebecca and Leon Stevenson's for their continual faithfulness, shepherding of this beautiful community. Um, as I've known, 
um, Pastor Leon and this work here at Max Community Church. Um, and as, as I've heard, you guys are in the Sermon on the Mount, which we all know speaks of being salt and light into the world in our communities. And I, don't, I can think of more of a tangible expression um, within our zip code here that has displayed that in such a beautiful way. This church literally is the salt and light of this community and the zip code in which you find yourselves in. Um, I have been privileged and blessed by your service and ministry on many occasions. I'm hoping this fall or winter, don't know the max sports um, schedule, but if you have basketball, I'm ready to get my son into basketball, and I'm going to go through max sports and just pray for me that I don't try to make him to be the NBA champion that I see inside him already at the young age of four years old. So you're going to have to pray for me if you see me there and I'm crossing the line from the court. I was just just pray for um, um, Pastor Chris when he sees his son play basketball for the first time, um, or if you see me in um, your commons and and just connecting with someone because I know that I would rather go into a coffee shop that is um, with purpose than on various coffee shops that is for whatever bi- what business are for for profit. But when you do when you go get coffee and you can in a zip code that is doing it for purpose, um, why not? And so every time I walk into the um, the spaces of commons, I just know that this, this thing I'm in is for such a powerful cause for the kingdom. And so all these things you guys are doing um, under the leadership of your pastor, um, Pastor Leon, I'm grateful to say that um, you guys are the salt and light of this community. So give yourself a hand for a moment for the work that you guys are doing in this community. Pat yourself on the back because I know this ain't easy. Um, and to that end, I've seen that um, in your sermons collections for the past several months, you've been in the Sermon of the Mount. Is that correct? All right. And so I reached out to your pastor, and um, as I looked, I didn't see one specifically speaking towards um, one of what theologians call the six antitheses in Matthew chapter 5. There's six things that Jesus says on repeat. See if you remember, he'll say, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. You remember Jesus saying that in the Sermon on the Mount? He says it six times, and one of the times that he says this, he says it pertaining to the focus of oaths. And I asked your pastor, um, hey, um, would it be okay if I came and speak pertaining to that topic? And he said, by all means. And so I will be speaking to you within your series of Sermon on the Mount, but going a couple of chapters back to the focus of oaths. And so if you can, at this moment, stand for the reading of God's Word. We will be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5 starting at verse 33, going through 37. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 33. And we'll go through 37. Starting at verse 33. The word of the Lord says this. Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this, comes from evil. I'll be speaking on the topic, live no lies. You may sit in the presence of the Lord. 
So I didn't get to um, let you guys see uh, my beautiful, amazing um, Carmel wife. Um, her name is Amel. Oh, there she is. Hey, hey, honey. How you doing? Um, she won't raise her hand because she's already prematurely embarrassed that I just said that. Um, her name is Amanda Ratcliffe. Um, me and her have come into this um, beautiful sanctuary with four children. As you see, we covered your entire um, row there. Um, we have a six-year-old daughter named Cecilia, a four-year-old um, son named Nolan, a two-year-old son named Daniel, and a newly born child named Rosalie. Yes, we have four children, and it is the final one. Amen in Jesus' name. Um, come on, somebody. My goodness. Um, but before these four beautiful children, in of ten years of marriage going on this month of October, um, a man and I, before we started the journey, um, participated in something that many um, may not do in this generation, the generations to come. We may be old school, but it was something that we call premarital counseling. Anyone um, um, raise your hand if you've gone through premarital counseling before you got married? Come on, somebody. We got some beautiful marriages because um, it was a necessary, um, I would say, um, intersection for um, me and my wife and especially for anyone that experienced it. If you haven't had premarital counseling yet, let me help you. It's a mixture between a live personality assessment and an interrogation um, <laughs> experience. And what I mean by an interrogation, think of your favorite CSI um, show. It's an interrogation room, which interrogation rooms are lies where lies are told and truths are revealed. Um, I say this because we had the um, beautiful privilege of having pastors that really deeply cared about us. And when we got in the room with our pastors during our premarital counseling, they knew that lies were going to be told. Um, what do you mean, Pastor? What I mean is that me and Amanda came in, you know, flustered in our relationship, saying, I love her. And he, she's saying, I love him. And I was like, there's not one blotted piece of him that is of evil, of no good. It's nothing but love and glory. And I would say the same thing, same thing to her. And both our pastors would look at each other. They don't know. They don't know. And so we came into the first two sessions just like we love each other. This is going to mean we're ready to go and love the Lord for the kingdom, for each other. And as much lies were told, also interrogations are where truth is revealed. Our pastors wouldn't allow us to live into a lie that we would have no conflict in our marriage. Our pastor did, told us something that had no Christianese to it, had no theology even rooted into it. It was just base reality and truth. And our pastor said, the reality of the situation is, Chris Amanda, is that marriage is when two selfish people move in together. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you can't get more truthful than that. Now, why would they say such a truthful, honest assessment? They're pastors. They should say something of Christianese, of theology of some sort. But our pastors wanted us to know the truth so that the truth would set us free. Come on. Free from an illusion that what we had, that what me and man thought we had, could never be broken. Because what we had was something special, something different. We were in love. But man, I remind you, reality is what you run into when you're wrong. And our pastors didn't want us to run into reality after the vows. 
our pastors wanted us to run into the reality before the vows. And so after those two glorious sessions of me and Amanda just saying there's nothing wrong with one another, our pastor said in our third session, you guys need conflict. And we were like, what? Yeah, you guys need to start talking about things that you may see be conflicting as you go into the, um, the journey of marital covenant vows with one another. And so for the next several sessions in between them, me and Amanda will start having very honest conversations about, hey, I see this in you and you see this in me. These may be conflict as we go closer to a marital covenant vows with one another. And I can tell you, things, any, things weren't fun anymore <laughs> because she saw things in me and I see things in her. And it all led to a house that I lived in during the time of young years of my ministry in a ministry house in Highland Park, and we're in the kitchen, and she was on one side, and I'm on the other, and the distance, physical, wasn't the only distance in that room. It was an emotional distance at this point as well, because we have come to find out maybe we got too many conflicting things for us to really do this thing. And as we're having this conversation, when we're looking eye to eye and having very intense conversation, all of a sudden, my, 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 my significant other at the time, not my wife at the time, Amanda, just takes her eyes off of me and looks at the counter and says, oh, and she looks back, and I'm like, how dare you? We are in an intense conversation. We are eye to eye. You have the audacity to disconnect for this important moment. For, and I was like, what, what, what is it? And she was like, nothing, nothing, no. I was like, no, come on, it has to be something important because we're, you know, this is kind of the conversation we're having at this moment. And she gets this flyer, this pamphlet that was on our counter that day, which came in because there was elections going on in the Highland Park at the time. Um, people wanted to be elected for city council. And she hands it to me. And as I look at this pamphlet, this flyer, it was addressed to someone named Amanda Ratcliffe. Now, you're just getting to know who I am. My name is Chris Ratcliffe, and my wife at the time was Amanda Guerrero. But when this thing came to my house, while we're in this intense conversation, she saw something on the counter that had her name with my last name on it. And at that moment, me and her knew we weren't the only ones in the room. At that moment, we knew there was someone else telling us, what y'all doing right here is about to go down. <laughs> and whatever y'all got to go through, get through it because this is happening. God was in the room. And God was saying that you are going to be accountable to one another, but let's not forget you're going to be accountable to me because I see this happening. And I can tell you we did have our marital vows of yes and I do to one another in a beautiful sanctuary, but I would tell you it didn't feel more real than it was in that kitchen than it was on the day we were at an altar. That we knew now that we were going to be accountable to one another, but all the more accountable to God, to the vows that we would say to each other. I'm talking about vows and oaths today, this morning. And they weren't pertaining to marriage in the time of Jesus' day. They were more particularly pertaining to inter interpersonal relationships with neighbors and within a, ju a judicial court system. And so let's walk through today's text, just four verses, and only have three points that I would want to communicate to you today from them. And so let's begin with the first verse from Matthew 5.33. It says this again, literally, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, my bad, I forgot, I'm going to use the ESV here, I have the NIV on my pad. Verse 33 says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Jesus is quoting from a, the written law given by Moses from God that pertained to oaths to the Lord. 
oaths to God were acceptable. And the reason they were was because they were binding. Can someone say binding today? Binding meant that something tangible could be redeemed if the oath was broken. And that way you would be accountable in some way, shape, or form to fulfill the oath or vow you have just sworn, which was to something tangible or to the Lord. So, for example, if, if I was going to say, hey, Pastor Kevin, I got you because you need a, uh, a ride to the grocery store today. I swear to the Lord, I'm going to take you to the grocery store today. Now, if I swore to the Lord, that means I'm binded to it because I'm swearing to the Lord. Or I could have said, or I could say, Pastor Kevin, we're going to the grocery store because you got to go. And I swear to you on my $20 bill that's in my pocket right now. Or I swear to you on my house I just got. And as you know, it's nice. I swear it on my house or I swear it on, 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 on my, my new pair of Jordans that I'll get in five years when um, we got the money and I, and I pay for it for the first time. I got you. It's binding, right? So that means if I don't do it, I have sinned against God. Or if I don't do it, I have broken, I have bare false witness to my brother. And now he can have my Jordans that will come in five years. He can have the $20 that is in my pocket, or he can have my house. It's binding. For in the law, if the oath was broken, you will have committed sin to God and bear falsehood to your neighbor. Now, with so much at stake to swear to the Lord or to have a binding oath if you communicate it, with so much on stake, you're bearing false witness, you're sinning against God, and you're going to lose on whatever you bind it to that oath. Why even say an oath or swear at all, right? It was because God knew and we know that we live in a world full of lies. I love what Dendrick Bonhoeffer said. Dendrick Bonhoeffer is a German theologian um, a couple of decades in the past who was known during a time of Nazi occupation. He was a theologian from the Confessing Church, and he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. Within The Cost of Discipleship, he had his own interpretations of the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what he says pertains to this particular text about oaths. Dendrick Bonhoeffer says, If lying were unknown... If lying were unknown, there would be no need for oaths. In other words, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, if lies didn't exist, we wouldn't need this tool called oaths. Does that make sense? So have you ever been lied to? Have you ever lied? Now, don't be lying, church. I can find myself lying many occasions. Yep, a pastor just told you that. Sorry if that messes you up. Because I have kids. And they need to go to bed at 8 o'clock at night. And if your kids go to bed early in that, well, good for you. <laughs> uh, but my kids, we get to 8. And by that time, if it's 8.10, 8.15, my anointing has fell away. And I'm saying, that, hey, hey, now, if y'all go to bed right now, I swear I'm about to make those Mickey Mouse pancakes in the morning with the sausage and the egg, with the sausage and the eggs, daddy. I will. All right, I'm going to bed. Now, do, now I wake up and I forget we don't got pancake mix in the house. <laughs> but my kids went to bed. I, didn't, I wasn't buying to no oath in that moment. Or how about this time if you're married, you have a spouse, and uh, 
you know, they come to the store, they go to Target. In my household, we go to Value World. Come on now. And, and your wife's like, look, I got these new jeans. Do, do I look bad in this? And you're like, huh? What? Oh. Now, let's apply our text now. What if, what if my child, when I told him, hey, I'm going to make those pancakes anymore. I'm going to make the pancakes. I'm going to make it with the sausage and with the sausage. Okay, Dave. Now, swear to the Lord before you say you will. Why you got to put Jesus in this? You know, I just start walking out the room. You know what? We got, we got maple sugar uh, oatmeal tomorrow. You know, walk out the room. What if my wife, when she says, you know, do I look bad in these jeans? And then, and then she, and she says, I mean, before you answer, just swear to the Lord before you answer. Just swear to the Lord before, because I want you to be honest. You're like, you, you going to put Jesus on about, about, the, about the jeans? And you just, you be like, you know what? I didn't mow the lawn. You know, I got to go. I, I, I didn't even mow the lawn. I got to go. Imagine if we asked our politicians to be bound by oaths before they open their mouth of any promises they say they're going to fulfill. Maybe bind them to their homes, bind their college funds for their kids. Maybe they might not be popping off all the promises that they say they're going to when they know it's bound by things tangible and personal to them. Can I get an amen to that? They had oaths in Israel's day because we come to realize we all lie. We live in a world of lies. I love what um, a good pastor in um, Portland, Oregon says. His name's John Mark Comer. John Mark Comer says this about lies. Every day we are assaulted by lies about who God is, who we are, what the good life we all crave actually is, Deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires in our own chest that are often normalized in the kind of echo chamber of culture at large. And if we come to believe those lies, if we let them into our bodies and live as if they are true, they wreak havoc in our souls and sabotage our peace. Oaths were instituted in Jesus' day and throughout Israel because it was a way to protect people from lying to one another, privately and especially when it came to the law publicly, specifically in the judicial systems in Israel. Think of courtrooms. People are to be what? Sworn in. Truth is everything in the courtroom. To a judge, truth is everything. And Moses was called a lawgiver. But when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, we see one greater than Moses. His name is Jesus. And Jesus says as, as well, truth is everything. My first point for us this morning from our text is this. The existence of oaths gives evidence to lies. The existence of oaths gives us the evidence that we live in a world of lies. To that end, Jesus goes on with this antithesis statement that he does for six times. You have heard it said, but I say unto you, he has said it already from um, pertaining to murder and how we are not to be angry, but to be in reconciliation. He has said it towards marriage and adultery, but now he says it towards lies. He says, but I, he says, you have heard it said that you are to swear to the Lord. Now he says it to our next verse. If we continue to read in verse 34, he says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all. 
Don't swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Now wait, let's hold up. Now that we just learned about this system of oaths in Israel, it sounds beautiful. They had a system in where it eradicated people from lying from one another. By if they had a promise, they had to swear to the Lord or make it binding towards something tangible that would have to be given if the, if the oath or promise was broken. That is a beautiful system to have. Why would Jesus now say, don't swear at all? But I tell you, don't even do this no more. Why would Jesus shut down this system of oaths that has gone on since Moses? Jesus was, but what we were going to realize, but he wasn't at the same time. Jesus was shutting down the illusion of what the law said about oaths. You see, the religious leaders figured out how to game the system. They figured out how to game this system of oaths, and it was that what Jesus, and that is what Jesus came to shut down. Not oaths in themselves, but oaths that were bound to things that could never be collected by the other party. What do you mean, Pastor? Let's go back to the text and just read it over. He says, but I say to you in verse 34, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven. During that day, the Pharisees would say, I swear to heaven. Hold up. How are you going to get somebody to heaven if, if you break that promise? How are you going to get them to heaven? He says here, not only heaven, he says, by the earth. They were saying, the Pharisees there day, I, I swear to the earth, I'm going to do da 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 How, how are you going to get somebody to earth if you break the promise? How are you going to get them to earth? Then they, they, Jesus says they will say it to Jerusalem. I swear to Jerusalem. How are you going to get somebody to Jerusalem if you break the promise? And then he said, I swear on my own head, you're going to subject yourself to slavery because you, you're going to tell somebody, I'm going to give you that bread. I'm going to go to the bakery. I swear to my, I'm, you're, going to, you're going to subject yourself to slavery because you swear to the world that you're going to go to the bakery. Jesus says, stop this system of oaths. Look at your neighbor and say, stop swearing. <laughs> Why were these Jewish leaders still swearing when they weren't swearing to the Lord? They see how accountable they were going to have to be if they swore to the Lord, if they bound it to something tangible. And so instead, they bound these oaths to things that they can never be collected by the other party. And this, Jesus said, this system has to go. So why would they still swear if they weren't swearing to the Lord? Dallas Willard will come and help us out from his book, The Divine Conspiracy, where he gives his interpretation of this text from the Sermon on the Mount pertaining to swearing. Why would they swear if they weren't going to swear to the Lord? There is a reason. Dallas Willard helps us. He says this, when we swear, we make use of people trying to bypass their understanding and judgment to trigger their will and possess them for our purposes. When we swear, I, I swear I'm going to go do this for you. I swear to heaven. I swear to earth. I swear to Jerusalem. I swear on my own head. When we swear, we are trying to make use of people, trying to bypass their understanding. Dang, you're going to do, you swear to Jerusalem? You swear, dang, you must really going to do it. You're trying to bypass their understanding and judgment to trigger their will and possess them for 
our purposes. We see here that the Pharisees weren't trying to protect people to not lie to them. Anymore, they were trying to possess people to use them. They wanted to captivate their audiences. I swear to Jerusalem. I swear to the heavens. They were trying to captivate their audience, lead them into their captivity of non-binding oaths. In other words, lead them into captivity of lies. And when the innocent party would believe these non-binding oaths, they would many times come up bankrupt from thinking the person swearing the oath had any desire of keeping it. This was to Jesus a lie, a system of lies. And Jesus being the lawgiver as we have known him to be, where truth is everything, he said it in verse 34, but I say to you, don't swear at all, saying this system has to go. Can someone just be thankful that we have a Jesus when he sees systems of lies that brings destruction in people? He says those systems has to go. Can we give it up that we serve a God that says when I see, when I call a spade a spade, I'm going to tell it when I see it? And I don't see this more in a more contemporary illustration than what we experienced, I think now 12 years ago when we went through the mortgage crisis of 2008. Do you remember that time in America, this recession that we experienced globally even as well? Do we even know the cause and why it happened, the mortgage crisis? It was because of big banks, but it was also because of mortgage brokers who were giving out what they called ninja loans, which meant as an acronym, no income, no jobs. They were giving loans to homes to people that had no incomes and no um, jobs many of the times to t and swear to them, swear to them that they can have the house of their dreams even though they knew they couldn't pay them off. Why would they do that? Because they were not bound by that party for them to pay it off. They were giving their own contemporary non-binding oath, swearing to them that they could have what they wanted because they knew they weren't bound to it. They weren't accountable for the party to pay it off. All they needed to do was dress up the truth, swear to you, bypass your understanding and judgment and possess you so that you will put a pen to a paper and sign at the dotted line. And after you did that, they will leave to the Bahamas with money in their pockets, while many months later for you, your pockets are empty but full of broken promises. They were false prophets gaining false profits. And I love that I serve a Jesus that says when he sees these system of lies, they have to go. It makes me think of Jesus if he was up in the big banks of Wall Street, he will walk up in there like he walked up in the temple and start flipping tables and saying, this system has to go. Come on, somebody. We know who our Jesus is. And he's saying that I don't tolerate systems like these. My second point is right into this, which means if you wanted to write anything down, is an, an unaccountable promise. An unaccountable promise is a moral bankruptcy waiting to happen. An unaccountable promise is a moral bankruptcy waiting to happen. This is why Jesus knew. He's saying this has to go. 
because you're going to continually be morally bankrupt as a society, as leaders, if you continue the system of lies, which leads us to the final passage in our text this morning in verse 37. It says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil, or in other scriptures, the evil one, other translations. Jesus is making the point that we are a people that are not, not, not the world, the kingdom people, the church. Jesus is making the point that we, the people of God, the people of the kingdom, are to be a people that are not known for our promises we say, but the promises we keep. And the only thing you need to do to keep any promise is by saying yes that you can and no that you can't. Anything else is walking into the means and the goals of the devil. What is the devil's goal? The devil's end goal in humanity is to spread destruction in the lives of men, women, and children. If that is his goal, what is the devil's means to do that? The devil's means is lies. Jesus calls the devil the father of lies. And when he speaks, he speaks his native tongue. And if we look at the beginning of the Bible, the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, in chapter 3, the devil comes on the scene clothed as a serpent. But the devil is a spirit. The devil is a disembodied spirit. Not a serpent. You see, the devil not only tells lies, he embodies them. And so we will do the same when we lie. And there lies the evilness of it all. David Benner says this very well. He says, it is not so much that we tell lies, it's that we live them. It's not so much that we tell lies, it's that we live them. I can tell you, my brothers and my sisters, the most harmful thing we can do in our lives is to live a lie. You see, the evil isn't just I'm telling a lie. It's that I'm going to be the embodiment of a lie. And so my lie is dressed up as a church leader, as a parent, as a spouse, as a politician. And whoever is impacted by my lie now experiences it through whatever outfit it came into. Now, trust must be restored, must be restored in church. Many people I know as a pastor who have been broken because of church leaders with broken promises or they felt they were lied to, and not only they don't need to be restored in that relationship, they just need to, they need to be restored by the whole institution of church altogether now. Or, or someone who has a parent, who you've had broken promises to, who lied to you, and you now it is one thing to restore that relationship, but, but let alone restore what has happened inside of you all these years, that now you need to seek assistance of, of counseling and therapy of a broken, ruptured relationship in your life. You, you need to trust your relationship with your parent again, but you're trying to trust yourself. You're trying to trust things of what has caused now that relationship. Some of us has been in marital situations where, where there, you've been lied to or bro- promises have been broken and it's just 
it's one thing to just try to renew that, that trust, but the restoration process can take so much longer than just uh, overnight when you say, I forgive you. It, it's, it's one thing to tell a lie, but it's embodied. And when it's embodied, there comes a restoration of individuals and institutions. And so Jesus sees the power of what can happen if we don't eradicate lies in any way, shape, or form. And he says, just say your yes be yes or your no be no. But I know many of us today may have experienced marital hurt or societal hurt or relational hurt, ecclesial hurt, because of people or individuals that have lived, not only told lies, but they lived them, and you're still in the restoration process from that harm. Now, the same goes on the opposite. If the most harmful thing we can do is live a lie, the opposite is the same. The hardest thing to do is to live into the truth. Jesus says to make your yes be yes and your no be no. But I don't know about you. Maybe that's easy for you. But for me, I know many a times I'm saying no when I mean yes. And when I say yes, I really mean no. Because of expectations of people, family of origin scripts I'm still living into that is not truly me. Or just the pressures of people in life all having their own expectations who I am and I start living out those expectations instead of living out who I'm called to be as the true Chris Rackles in the world God has called me into. And so yes, it's one thing to say, say make your yes be yes but your no be no, but I'm here to tell you I'm always in the intersection when I'm maybe saying no when I really mean yes and when I'm saying yes I really mean no. And many psych- psych- psychologists would say or Thomas Merton, a, a theologian and monk would say that's when we will operate more from a false self and not a true self of who we are. But if we were to do the hardest thing and live into the truth, I'm here to tell you, living into our true self is the most healing thing we can do if we're able and willing to know that there will be a cost. Because it's not easy. My last point is that your answer, yes, no, is accountable to your actions. Your answer is accountable to your actions. As I've said, the most harmful thing we can do is to live a lie. And the hardest thing to do is to live into the truth. That's why I love Jesus. Because I know in my life, growing up, I've had many people live into a lie saying they're going to be there for me. I had a father or stepfather say he was going to be there. And then I remember coming home at 12 and getting a phone call and he saying he ain't coming home no more. And after that, now many times in my life, I have to restore what it means to of, of a father saying they love you or a God that says that he loves me, but not having that father love myself. And so I have to wrestle and restore what that all means to me ever since that day. But at the same time, I thank God that I have a Jesus because I know that I didn't just need Jesus to tell me the truth. I didn't need Jesus to come to the world and tell me the truths of the heavenly realm. I needed him to live the truth. I need him to embody the truth. This says the word came and was made flesh. Come on, somebody, because I needed someone not to tell me that I sinned or the world is full of people that have sinned. I needed someone who was going to take the penalty of sin and die on a cross for me. I don't know about you, but I know that it may be hard for me to live into the truth, but I follow a Jesus who did it himself. He lived the true self from the day he was born to the day he died. People knew who he was when he was born because a king said, all the kids under two must be dead. 
dead because I hear a Messiah is now in our parts. I know a Jesus that when he came to the scene, he knew that he was not just to be a carpenter's son, but he was the son of a God that created the world. And so his family got disappointed when he said, I ain't going to be just your normal carpenter's son. I'm leaving the home, though I know the oldest son's supposed to stay because I have been called to save the world. So I have to say no to you right now, mommy and my brothers. But he also would say yes, that he was the Messiah when he went into the synagogue in Luke 4 and told him that what you hear in these scriptures, I am the fulfillment of. Even though after he told him, yes, I am the Messiah, they wanted to push him off of the cliff. But then he also told his disciples, no, I am not the warrior Messiah that you want me to come and take the Roman oppressors away. I am a sacrificial suffering servant to pay for the penalty of sins in the world. And I will tell you, no, I ain't the warrior type you think I am. And But he also said yes to the religious leaders on the night of his betrayal when they said, do you say you are the, of Daniel, the son of man? And he said, yes, I am. And you will see me come out of the clouds with my angels on that great day. And they ripped their clothes and they sent them to the cross. I thank God that I have a Jesus that knew as hard it is to live in the truth. He lived in the truth of who he was because it saved me. It healed me. And if he can do it, by God, I can do it. I can say yes when I mean yes. I can say no when I mean no, even though I know how hard it is. Because my God did it. And he saved me doing it. Ephesians 4.25 tells the church in Ephesus after beautiful theology and now to the application of the body at large. Paul says, bear no falsehood with one another. Meaning, live no lies. We are to be the most authentic people in all the world. That what you see is what you get. We got to get away from the church folk language. How you doing? Doing good. Highly favored. Highly praised. No, you actually you know what? I ain't doing so good right now. Actually, today has been one of the toughest times I've had. I only have four hours of sleep. My wife and I are in a good place. But you know what? I know God loves me. If, if, what if the world got a whiff of that every time they saw one of us? How freeing it is when you hear someone tell you how really they're at and you find you sense a relief and freedom that you can be where you really at. That's what we're supposed to bring into the world. It says it there in Ephesians. So all I say, Matt Community Church, as Paul said to the church of Ephesus, bear no falsehood. Another way I would say, Matt Community Church, live no lies. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have shown us, even during the first century, of truths in which we are still stumbling and tripping over trying to live into today. We thank you that you have a heart for a world where it can be of no lies, a world where people can speak truth no matter how hard it is to do so. And so, Father, I pray against the enemy who has been throwing lies in the hearts of your people. And whatever particular situations they may find themselves in, lies about their family of origin, lies about where they're at right now because if they didn't do this or they, and they not, haven't done this yet, Lord. I pr- Father, I pray that you will just break the, the power of, of, of false beliefs and lies that they have come to live into their bodies and, and, and act as if this is the reality in which they are to live. Father, I pray, release them, Lord. Your word says that you came to release the captive and to set them free. Father, I pray, set your people free, Lord. We thank you, Father, for your word today. And we ask, Father, that you will be with us. Console us where we have felt desolation. 
And where there is desolation, Father, we pray, Father, for your light to shine and dissipate it all. We thank you. We give you all the glory in Christ's name. Amen. you pastor chris for uh, a timely word and for a passionate word appreciate that brother and when we when you well you got excited let me just say that and i was i was i was i was uh i had to get out of my seat because you started talking about jesus and and when you said that line about jesus embodying uh truth I had to get out of my seat, and I wonder if there's somebody today that doesn't know that king, because there's a lot of a lot of rulers in the world, but there's only one true king, and Chris told us about the true king, and the true king doesn't just tell the truth, the true king is the truth, and I just want to ask you, are are you, I, I don't know who you are, but do you want to know the true king? Because if you do, I want to direct you to where the true king gave his life, on the true cross. Uh, the true electric chair of his day, he shed his blood for liars like us. But when he did it, he defeated the ultimate liar, Satan himself. And he defeated sin, not just the penalty did he take, but he defeated the power of sin. And he defeated death when he got out of the grave three days later. And if you don't know that king, you may be living, but you're still in the grave. You understand what I'm saying? You're living uh, it's bodily death. It's a living death because you're separated from the creator, the life giver. And in order to be reconciled to the creator, the life giver, you have to come through the one life giver that came. And he bridged the gap so that you could have the peace of God. Because apart from Christ, you can't have the peace of God. You're separated. You're not in a relationship with the Father, who happens to be the Father of the Son who gave his life. And the Spirit that comes and opens your eyes to the truth of life. So I just want to I just want to give you an opportunity if you want to surrender your life to King Jesus, the ultimate embodiment of truth. You can do that right now. And we don't normally do an altar call, but if that's your thing and you want to come up front, I want to I want to give you full freedom to do that. But I just want to give a few moments and let Scott play on the keys. And I just want you to reflect. Because some of you are in here have been following Jesus now for a little minute. Right? 
And you've told some lies this past week even, right? And I'm here to tell you that the blood still remains for you. That King Jesus is not just the one who accomplished salvation, but he's the one who sends his spirit to continue to apply salvation to you. The gospel is not just for a new believer. The gospel is also for the ancient believer, right? So I just want to leave not an awkward space, but a holy space for you to, to do business with the Lord. Can we do that? And if that's you and you want to give your life to Christ, I want you to think about that too. to a saving relationship with King Jesus. Be a member of God's kingdom. Pray this prayer with me. Lord of the universe, thank you that you created me. Thank you that you created me to show you to the world and to reflect the praises of creation back to you. I was made to be a king and I was made to be a priest, but I have failed. I've sinned against you, God, in my thoughts, in my words, and in my deeds. I've been a liar. I receive today what you did on the cross through your resurrection. Thank you for new life. Thank you that I am forgiven of not just my past sin, but my sin in the present and even my future. And I thank you that one day, someday, I will dwell with you in the new creation. I pray that in Jesus' name. God's people agreed and said, Amen. Amen.